You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning. Getting in the Word, family, we hope you're doing well. It's always a a delight and an honor and a privilege and all of those other wonderful things to have you beautiful people with us this morning. So many familiar faces, and I know there are some new faces as well, and we want to welcome you. Uh, we pray that you'll you'll enjoy our time together in the Word. And uh, you have to excuse me, my voice is a little shaky this morning, but nevertheless, we're going to pull through it and uh, give glory to God in the midst of it. So yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to especially welcome you. It's always a privilege and a delight to have new people uh, that we can share the Word of God with. And uh, we pray that you'll find this uh, channel a blessing and that you uh, first understand that uh, we're, we're super glad you're here. And uh, the admin are a special group of folks that uh, we are grateful for. And so thank you all for your consistent work each day as we meet together and uh, as we filter through uh, all of these channels and things and such. And so we're grateful for you. So thank you guys as well. Well, let's go ahead this morning and begin our study. We've been working through the doctrine of salvation. It's been a really, it's going to be a 10-week series, and we've reached the halfway point, um, which we still have a long way to go, but nevertheless, it is indeed a, uh, a great blessing and an honor to be able to do, uh, to do these studies together. I've posted in the chat, you'll see, week one we talked about common grace. And we uh, just a quick overview of that is that God both gives grace to the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, he gives you the ability to see his, uh, his glory in creation. He gives that to both believer and unbeliever. He gives us, second week, we looked at election and reprobation, how God chose before the foundations of the world those unto salvation. You say, well, that, that doesn't like that theology. Well, the Bible teaches that the Lamb's Book of Life was written before the foundations of the world. Every name of every person who had ever put their faith in Jesus Christ was written down before the foundations of the world. Not a big problem for a God who is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is eternal. He is the Alpha, the Omega as we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. And so we, the question is, is it conditional election or unconditional election? And those are the areas for which you have to work through and decide. And then typically with election, especially uh, the gospel election, um, the salvation by grace through faith um, is reprobation. That is the same uh, sovereignty of God that he would select unto salvation. He also selected unto hell. And so uh, those are some of the things you have to wrestle with as you study through those. And then week three, we looked at union with Christ, which is uh, basically the phraseology which we used was in Christ. If I can take one passage of Scripture and really clarify union with Christ, it would be Galatians 2.20. I've been, what, crucified with Christ, and no longer it is I who lives, but what? Christ who lives in me. There is the indwelling of the Spirit of God into the life of the person who has been put, believed and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then we talked about week four, regeneration. Now, again, this isn't the order salutis. This isn't the order of salvation. 
But nevertheless, regeneration means new life. You are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. It, 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 it means to be born again, and that's what Jesus told Nicodemus. In order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That's regeneration. That's life. That's newness. It was like Paul on the road to Damascus when Paul, uh, God told uh, Paul he, or Saul at the time, you are to go tell the world about this experience and about other times I'll appear to you. And I will open their eyes, and they will turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they will receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith in me. So there is that darkness to light, that power of Satan to God. That is salvific. That is new life. That is regeneration. And then today, week five, we're halfway point, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of conversion and how it relates ultimately to the doctrine of salvation. And so... Well, let's pray, and then we'll jump right into our time together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege and honor that we have to come and to open your word. And I pray that we will all be encouraged, we will be strengthened, and that you will be glorified through it all. And we ask these things in the precious and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, so we always like to define these terms. What is the definition? Well, uh, Allison, Greg Allison, uh, the 50 core truths of the Christian faith. It's a ultimately a guide to understanding and the teaching of theology, uh, which is a book I've always tried to recommend. Uh, he defines conversion as conversion is the human response to the gospel, consisting of repentance from faith and faith in Jesus Christ. So there is the process by which God uh, saves you and converts you. Um, here's one put out by the Gospel Coalition, which if you don't, never heard of that, man, you ought to look it up. they got great resources. Uh, conversion begins with the gracious gift of new life and gives rise to a genuine faith and repentance that continues throughout the Christian life. You can just hear the Reformed theology bleed off of that definition. Um, here, here's a definition that I wrote, and I, and I hope you find it helpful. Conversion is the act by which the sinner hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, repents of his sin or her sin, and by faith trusts in the person and work of Jesus Christ and is regenerated and converted. So it's a, it's a, it's a compilation of all of that, but ultimately... It is the moment in your life that you became a believer. You were converted. Um, we use the terminology a lot of times in talking about religious. Um, you know, we, you were converted to Christianity. You were something else, but now you're this. Same idea. So what are some of the key things that you might think when it comes to the idea of union with Christ? Well, here, here's a few ideas. Um, so the idea of conversion in relation to missions as a church to go out and to preach the gospel, one would hope that our objective would be to call people to hear the good news, the gospel 
of Jesus Christ to do two things. Number one is to repent of their sins. Repentance is an act of the will. It simply means means to turn uh, away from your sin and turn to God. That's repentance. Second is belief. Faith in Jesus Christ by uh, faith alone in Christ alone. And the result of the human response to the call of repentance and faith would result in conversion and regeneration. Conversion refers to our response to God's offer of salvation. And regeneration is the other side of conversion. It's kind of a double-sided coin. Again, uh, the, the old saying is theologians cut thin slices when they're talking about theology. Sometimes we try to compartmentalize too much and we cut too thin of slices. And so we, we try to put together an order salutus and how God works in salvation. And I believe a lot of those are simultaneously happening at the same time. So regeneration and conversion are really a double-sided coin. It just depends on which side you're looking at. So it's, it's, it's ultimately God's doing. It's God's transforming an individual believer. He's given a new spiritual vitality and direction uh, to their lives when they accept Christ. So I guess the question would need to be defined in relation to conversion is, what does repentance mean? What does faith mean? If those two things are the things that happen, and then conversion happens, we need to define those two things. So what is repentance? Well, repentance is simply put, uh, changing one's mind. There are many here today that uh, maybe have never put their faith in Christ. They, They don't understand Maybe they think they're going to heaven because they know Jesus and they've done good works and they they feel like their good is going to outweigh their bad when they get to the gate of heaven and God uh, just weighs their good deeds versus their bad deeds. Well, that's really unbiblical. A matter of fact, that's heresy. A matter of fact, Galatians says that's a different gospel. And anyone who believes that they can work their way to heaven is to be accursed. Anathema means damned to hell. And so that's strong language that Paul is emphasizing about the Galatian heresy, which was a works-based salvation. Uh, Listen, the reality is, is salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. We have to understand that we are sinners. The Bible expresses that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are either a child of God or a child of Satan. You've either put your faith in Jesus Christ or you've put it in some other methodology in order that you might be confident that you die, you go to heaven. But the reality is, is the Bible starts out with us being sinners. And the wages of sin is death. You say, well, what is sin? Well, sin is um, an archery term. In the Greek, it's homartia. It's a, the archer's design is to pull back his bow, shoot the arrow, and hit the bullseye. And when you miss the bullseye, you've sinned. That means you've missed the mark. That's all it means. So when the Bible says all have sinned, what it's saying is all have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. See, listen, in order to get to heaven, my friend, you must be absolutely perfect. You must be as righteous as God. You say, oh, how is that even possible? Well, let me tell you how it's possible. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, 
in the life. There is only one person who has hit the bullseye, and is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he has died on your behalf. And so what he is saying here is that repentance is changing your mind. You are understanding now that you've broken the law of God. You are a sinner. You're a child of Satan and that you need to change. And when God gives you that uh, reality, when you understand that truth for the first time, repentance is simply turning away from that and turning to God, that you will no longer want to chase after the things of this world, the ways and the methods unto salvation that's created by man, but rather you want to turn and paint and, and look towards the Lord and the Savior. And so it is important to understand that, that repentance is simply changing one mind. One writer says it involves acknowledging one's thoughts, words, actions are sinful and thus grievous to God and turning from that. And so let me ask you the, the question that's, uh, that the elephant in the room is this. Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned away from your sins? And everybody sins differently. I mean, we all sin equally. Sin, we're sinful, we're stained from the you know, we're, we're stained, we're separated from, we're at enmity with God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Your good deeds are filthy rags before the Lord. So he, here's the reality. We all have something common. And the common is, is you've not lived a perfect life. Jesus did, but you didn't. The good news is, is nobody else has either. So we're all in the same boat. The question is, have you turned your thoughts, words, and action back to God? away from sin. Because really, repentance is the change of attitude and action towards sin, and then rather obedience to God. The concept of repentance differs slightly in the Hebrew and the Greek mind, but, but the emphasis upon right behavior is consistent. This idea that you can be saved and live a life of habitual sin, consistent sin. You don't get to decide what sin is. God does. God decides what's good and what's evil. The world we live in does not get to redefine what God calls wicked, and they call it good. But that's the world we're living in. They are calling evil good and good evil. We don't get to decide what sin is. God defines what sin is. And sin is anything you say or do or think that makes God mad, makes God sad, the reality is you've broken the law of God. If you've looked at a woman or man with lust in your heart, you've broken the law of God. If you've ever told a lie, you've broken the law of God. If you've ever uh, stolen anything, you've broken the law of God. If you've ever uh, worshipped a false god, you, you've, you've sinned and broken the law of God. And you say, well, I've never worshipped a false god. Well, I beg to differ. I think you probably have. It may not be a real person. A real thing, but uh, how many of us spend the 90% of our time on social media? Is that not an idol? Whatever replaces God is an idol. And we can justify how much time we spend with God and in the world and the other things, and then we can look at our own lives and we go, what, where I'm, what am I worshiping? Well, look at your pocketbook. Whatever you spend your money on typically shows you where you spend most of your energy and efforts. But nevertheless, the idea of repentance is a continuing work in the life of one who has experienced conversion. It's a process. Repentance is something that Christians continue to do after their initial turning to the Lord. In turning from sin. Here in 
Luke 17, uh, 3 to 4, Jesus says that if a brother sins against uh, seven times a day but repents seven times, he must be forgiven. Sounds like to me repentance is a process. 2 Corinthians 7, um, 10, Paul says, Godly sorrows brings repentance and leads to salvation and never and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So the letters to the seven churches in the first three chapters of Revelation are largely a call to repentance. And so it's an essential aspect, the beginning of the Christian life. And it's also ongoing as you grow in your relationship with Christ. You ought to be consistently repenting of your sin. You ought to consistently be turning back to God because many of us have turned back to our old ways, our own desires. Uh, we've, we, we're, we're very, it's a common thing for Christians to fall back into their old ways. They get really excited about God. They get to reading their word. They get to praying. They get to doing all these things that, 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 that God so enjoys for his children to do. And then the heaviness of the world and, you know, the, the, the material things of the world begin to build up and the worries of the world begin to weigh down. And the next thing you know, we fall back into our old life. And so there is a consistent repentance. Um, there is a positional repentance. And then there is a progressive repentance. It's an essential aspect of the beginning of the Christian life. It's short. In short, it's, it's, you know, conversion encompasses turning and repentance. It's a lifelong process. So one who is truly converted repents regularly. They can't help it. They, 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 they're reminded of 1 John 1, 9 that says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't mean we are saved every time we are repentant, right? No, we're saved once and for all. Jesus saves us. He regenerates us. He gives us new life. And so the reality is it's not an ongoing lose yourself and gain yourself and lose yourself and gain yourself. Man, could you imagine living that kind of life? You'd never really know if you were truly saved. You know, I have people all the time that, that come to me and they're like, you need, you need to teach that we need to hold the law. We need to be, we need to be perfect as, as uh you know, and, and, and fulfill the law and hold all of the feast. And, and if we sin, we've lost our salvation. I'm like, dude, that is a miserable life. No, Jesus said to telestai. It's paid in full. Your sins, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, have been paid past, present, and future. You are converted. You are regenerated. You are new creation in Christ. You are born again. You are a child of God. You don't become a child of God and then all of a sudden flip around and now you're a child of the devil. No, you are. once you are born, you are born a child of God. And the Lord says nothing can snatch you out of the hands of a loving father. So why in the world would we ever desire to repent of something that we don't believe to be true? 
So we must understand we, we have to have a change of mind towards sin. We must first admit we are sinner. Can you admit today that you've sinned, that you've broken the law of God? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's no way around it. You have a death penalty, a life in hell. That's your penalty. Death in the flesh, life eternal in hell separated from God. Unless you are regenerated, you are converted, you change your mind toward that sin, you admit to the Lord you have broken the law of God and you deserve death, but by the grace of God he has sent in his Son, the perfect one, to live and to die that you might have life. So it takes faith, doesn't it? So not only should there be repentance, turning, changing your mind towards sin, there should be faith. And that's the other element of that conversion takes. What is faith? Well, the Bible contains a clear definition of faith. Here in <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Uh, simply put, the biblical definition of faith is trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. Every single person ex exhibits faith on a daily basis. You put faith in something every day. We make lots of decisions based on faith. It may not seem like it, but we do. The definition of faith contains really two aspects, the intellectual aspect and then a trust aspect. The intellectual aspect is believing something to be true. Trust is actually relying on the fact that something is true. Um, you know, the old story of the man who walked across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope. He walks across. Crowds are on both sides. They're obviously extremely excited the guy didn't die. They walk across, and he does it three or four times. And the people are they're clapping and they're cheering. And they, they, he says, uh, I'm going to take this wheelbarrow full of rocks across. And he goes across, and the people cheer. And he goes, do you believe I can do it? And they say, yes, we believe you can do it. Do you really believe I can do it? Yes, I believe you can do it. Then get in the wheelbarrow. And everybody's quiet. You see, seeing it and believing it is vital. You watch the man cross with the wheelbarrow. That's great. You believe he can do it. Trust is getting in the wheelbarrow. Listen, biblical faith is always accompanied by repentance and faith. The theological approach to Calvinist or Reformed theology holds that conversion comes after regeneration. Makes sense. I like that order. Um, the Arminian theology maintains that conversion precedes regeneration, comes before. Um, a Calminian, which is kind of a mixture, I don't know what you call that, a, a hybrid theology, holds the idea that both conversion, regeneration, faith, and indwelling of the Spirit of God all happen simultaneously. That's where I stand. I, I don't want to cut it up so much that I have to be able to explain every detail of something that is absolutely mysterious. Salvation is a mysterious act of God, my friend. 
Every day we get on here, we share the hope of Christ. We share the hope of the gospel. We call people to put their faith in Jesus Christ while understanding that it is an act of God. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says that his salvation is by the grace of God, not by works you've done in righteousness, but by regeneration, by the washing of the Spirit of God. It's a work and an act of God. So we don't have to understand every aspect in detail down to the order in which somebody is converted or regenerated. No, they seem to be a double-sided coin. You can't have faith without regeneration. You can't have regeneration without faith. You can't have faith and regeneration without conversion. And you can't have conversion without regeneration and faith. And you can't have any of those without the indwelling of the Spirit. And you can't have the indwelling of the Spirit unless you are converted, regenerated, and it's by faith you do that. It's all simultaneously happening. So the reality is, is you hear the gospel the good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that by putting your faith in Him, Jesus, that He died in your place, took your place, took your death penalty. When you hear the gospel, your eyes are open to the gospel, which includes the reality of sin. Oh, I know I'm a sinner. I, I understand. I've broken the law of God. I deserve hell. I deserve the pure flaming wrath and justice of God. And now I go before this God and I cry out to him because I see I've heard the gospel. And now I repent. I turn around and I say, God, I want you. I don't want sin. I turn back to you. And now I believe the gospel that it is sufficient that Jesus Christ left heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, bled for me, shed his blood on Calvary that I might have life. And I believe in Jesus Christ that he was buried. He rose again on the third day and ascended up to the right hand of the Father where now he intercedes on my behalf. I put my faith in the gospel and it's by faith I believe it. I can't see it, but I believe it. I wasn't there, but I believe it. And it's all because of his grace, not because of my works, but because he loved me. Not that I love him, but he loved me and sent his son. It's not by works in which we've done in righteousness. No, if, if we could be saved by keeping the law, doing, doing good deeds, then Jesus died needlessly, Galatians 2.21 says. God regenerates your heart and you are converted. And you become a child of God. You know, sometimes I don't think I emphasize that enough. You are adopted into the family of God. You are hopeless. We are hopeless. We are, we, are, we are children wandering, lost in this world. And the God of heaven, who is a righteous God, who is a loving Father, sees our inability, and He comes down and He swoops us up and He adopts us into His family and makes us an heir of God. There's no greater story than that. The love of God. When you are converted, you become a child of God. You don't become God. You become a child of God. Of a loving Father who puts His Son on the line that you might have life. So the necessity of the effectual call is emphasized in Jesus' words, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws them. 
6.44. John 6.44. Can I ask you a question? Have you come to the Lord today? There's a general call. There's the effectual call. There's a general call. The general call is for all of humanity, not just the elect. Famous passage, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen, this portrays God's general revelation to the world. He has made it apparent through his divine power, through his invisible attributes, so that there is none without excuse. So let me ask you a question today. Maybe you're just joining us and you've never been here for the first three weeks, four weeks. Well, I want you to understand there's no such thing as an atheist, my friend. You are here because, well, God has you here. God has you here because he cares for you. He loves you. He desires for you to be a child of God. But nevertheless, we're living in a day when people have turned away from the truth. They've suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God has made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his divine power, his eternal power and nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. When you walk out of your doors, when you look out into the highways and byways, you can see that heavens declare the glory of God. He has given you everything you need to know he exists. And it's clearly been seen. So you are without excuse. Listen, the Bible is very clear. You've sinned, you've broken the law of God, and the wages of sin is death. will always be death and separation in a place called hell. For those that have failed to put their faith in the gospel, the reality is the Second Thessalonians reminds us that God will be certainly dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These, he says, listen, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So can I ask you today, have you been converted? Have you been made new? Have you been born again? Well, you can do that today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, you don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what the next 30 minutes brings. You might have a lot of plans today. You might even have lunch plans. But let me tell you, we worship a sovereign God who is in control of everything. And there is a appointed time man wants to die, then comes the judgment. Your days are numbered, my friend. You don't know the number, and I don't know the number. But I can tell you when your number comes, nothing will stop death from moving. So let me ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? 
if you were to die today or Christ were to come back, would you make it to heaven? Your works won't get you there. Your deeds, your morality, your acts of righteousness, giving to the poor, going to church, reading your Bible, none of those, those things are great in themselves. But they don't save because they can't satisfy the just penalty of sin. So be converted, my friend. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Be saved. Be delivered. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, that's all we have on conversion today. It's a shorter message, one that I think will be a blessing. And so we'll start back next Tuesday on justification. But nevertheless, today is a great day to talk about conversion and our experiences and how God has saved us and you have been changed. You have been created into a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. So I pray you've been converted and I pray you have had a blessed day listening to this message This has on been conversion. Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org and come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.